your favorite toy truck nerds are back. Welcome to That Scale RC Show. Everybody and welcome to another episode of That Scale RC Show, and this is episode 89. I am one of your hosts, Travis, along with Jay and Adam, as usual, and we have a guest, finally, after months and months and months of me telling you guys we're getting a guest. But tonight we have Brandon Catton from Snowmod RC on, and Brandon, how you doing? Oh, you know, living the dream. How's everybody else? Doing good, doing the same. <laughs> yeah, we're still doing the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's not smoky today. That's a start. Yeah. Yeah. How's that been down where you are? Because it kind of uh, cleared off a bit up here, but we haven't had a lot of the local fires after the last couple of weeks. It's okay. The last couple of days it started clearing up a little bit, but like a lot of the families in some of those areas have family here. So, you, like, there's a lot of people in town all of a sudden just, you know, getting away from it all because they didn't fair. have a choice. So, that's kind of sad, but, you know, at least they got out of there. Yeah, for sure. I was reading something, because um, it sounds like New Orleans is about, is about to get into their, like, hurricane. And I was reading something about the people that are there that, I guess, can't do, like, a lot of the people, like, I guess, just can't evacuate, whether it be, you know, they couldn't get out in time or places to go or things like that, or they're just having to tough it out for income reasons. Could not imagine. Yeah. So it's good that people can that are able to get out you know can but still kind of sucks <laughs> it's not a fun situation for anybody yeah you know just another summer in california right <laughs> yeah not i can't say i'm particularly envious but hopefully everything turns out okay for you guys yeah um yeah another kind of slow week as far as news and stuff goes i know that Jay was looking at Amy in ahead of tonight's episode, and since we kind of strung this one last minute, I didn't get any questions up, but um, there was something I did want to talk about. I was trying to not do my best not to <laughs> say it before we went live, but um, we were talking a little bit before the show about, like, the DIY kits and, like, how because we had just released the, um, the light kits a little while ago for the, the Night Runner, and I was thinking more about this because that's something that's done kind of well for us. And I was kind of thinking about this is that maybe some companies should start looking at more of the DIY stuff, given like the amount of like craft level things that are involved in the hobby now, because I'm not like particularly crafty like myself. Like I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like really good at like the hobby level type stuff. I just put beadlock together, uh, wheels together for the first time. And that was hell. <laughs> so, you know, I'm still on that side of things. I'm still sort of, you know, getting my feet wet. But I was thinking about, like, why that was working. And I noticed that that's not something that a lot of people are doing for a little bit more difficult stuff, which surprised me in a way. Um, and I kind of wanted to bring that up because 
I was thinking about like what other things for like DIY stuff that you guys have done in the past that were kind of painful projects might have been easier like as an off the shelf item. That's a good question. Yeah, definitely. I've done a lot of DIY stuff and I'm trying to think what stands out the most. An interior. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. I mean, I've done everything from just using simple, um, I'm drawing a blank now, styrene to Lexan, just make like a flat bottom halfway in the cab and then cut somebody at like the chest height and stick them in there to actually try to make something that looks like a bench seat, uh, to making a dash to, you know, whatever. Um, if there was something that just fit would be a lot easier, um, it's kind of a shame that those uh, universal uh, interior kits from Proliner discontinued. I just don't understand the logic yeah. behind that. Like that I've just still been so scratching strange. my head for a year now over it, and it's <laughs> just why. It's like it's the one thing everybody loves. Why do that? Yeah, it fit everything. Yeah, I, I just. It's very strange know. to me too, because I I really do have a tough time believing that the sales rate was low enough that they were just like, I kill it. You know, we're not making enough off to kill it. Like I, I bought like eight of them and have them sitting on a shelf for future projects. I think maybe they, uh, prematurely estimated the, the 3d printing world. Maybe. Yeah, that could be. That's a good because point. Because when you think about it, like 3d printers alone, just as a, a hobby, really turns away a lot of people that had ideas like Proline and stuff just because people can get more detailed than, say, like a Lexan Pulp. Now, don't get me wrong. I've seen some super detailed Lexan, but we all know you can only do that to a point. Like, you start getting the thin corners down where it's important and, you know, detail's kind of tough. You know, I think maybe they thought, the 3D printing world was going to bring a lot more interiors than it did. So that could be, that's something I had never even considered. Yeah. The most that that's a good point. The only other thing I was thinking of was machine bandwidth. And for whatever reason, that was like the easiest way out to clear up some queue space because Proline is a, actually a pretty small place. And they don't have very many machines, let alone people who put that stuff together. It's a, actually a pretty small operation. Um, what I don't get is, like, so. if you weigh it on one hand, you've got, like, their interiors. And then let's say they freed it up to do, like, the low-C fifth-scale buggy body. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and that's where it starts like, to get they weird. they really expect to sell more of those? Than, you know, it's like it's a weird decision-making process. But maybe maybe they did. I don't know. That's the thing. Uh, if, if that is true, then, like, that's a surprise to me, but I guess I get it. I think that's the elite body is what they call it, if I remember right. Yeah. But, you know, it's like fifth scale is not very big. Scaling's huge. Like, if you're going to... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it would be interesting to know what their thought process is behind some of that. I think Adam identifies a pretty key need, though, immediately. Like, interiors have been suffering for a while now. It's well, not yeah, I mean, it's, it's not easy to do now at all. No, it's, it's not. And 
I don't know. Like I said, for me, I used to always keep, you know, uh, I've had a couple of the uh, Proline, you know, universal interiors. That thing worked great in the Axial SCX-10 2 Cherokee. I mean, it was a little narrow, but, you know, it actually fit really well. Um, I've actually used that same interior, cut it up for multiple other builds. And then the other trick I do is like, for instance, when I did the, um, the yellow blazer where it's literally just the skin and I had to cut the whole interior out, I actually saved that to use on another car. Oh, that's a good idea. So actually what I ended up doing is that interior worked for that uh, FJ40 I built for my buddy. You know what I would really like to see? Because you can, if you're doing like a wheeler build or a race car build, it's pretty easy, you know, easy to do a dash, you know, even if you want to do one out of aluminum, like it's not super hard. But like the real hard part that I would like to see somebody do is just a floor, a floor pan, you know, like have a floor pan that you can trim the sides to the width of the body, you know, have it be a little bit big, but just something that accurately can clear the transmission enough to where you've got like a nice base to where you can start adding seats and center console and everything else that you want to do. But I mean, it's like really the floor is kind of the worst part because you can buy lots of different seats if you want. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. The only other problem that. with the floor plant is like not all the rigs um you know all the transmissions work well like you're gonna have to come up with like a right you'd have like a element one and a scx 10.3 one and you know whatever but like just a couple that are you know just a good base like a foundation for building your own interior that would help dramatically Hmm. true you could do something modular with 3d printing you know, like some floor panels that snap together and maybe like a little track once you snap those together that the seats can sit on and, you know, you just 3D print a bunch of little pieces. You just sell the files. Yeah, that'd be nice. I feel I like still it just, it just <laughs> has to be the Go way. ahead, sorry. No, I was just saying, I feel like that just has to be, I guess, the way. Because, I mean, unless you're yeah. going to mold them yourself, you know, go back to just basically making what ProLine was already making. Which would not be an easy endeavor just on the design side, you know? Oh, yeah. Trying to account for the shape of the transmission and yeah. stuff. That I mean, unless fun. you're like, literally James Knight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Dude, the, how sick. Travis was over here on Sunday and he got to see the interior that's being printed for the Night Runner. And, dude, the way it like molds around the gear cover on it, like it's just, it's so dialed. It's I mean, it's just, yeah, it's very, very impressive. I haven't looked at it yet. Does it work with forward or forward spur and rear or just how only rear? Okay. Yeah, how it is stock. I have yet to flip a transmission in any of these. I did it in my FJ sixty two just because it put the spur gear right under the dash. Ah so it gave me an entire almost entirely flat floor, you know. Right. Good so idea. Cool. You know, but that's a 348 millimeter wheelbase. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, true. See, it's funny you say that because that's actually some of the stuff that I'm looking at right now. Because when, because 
Oh, I'm trying to get my hands on that uh, extended cab Chevy that Todd's supposed to be. Well, I think it's pretty much done, but um, I've been trying toying around with what transmission to do because it's like I want to keep it a certain, I want to go a certain direction with it, but I still want to be able to keep it scale and do some sort of, you know, a three quarter interior. So um, finding a transmission that works well and something that will still be able to tuck up somewhere is also a challenge yeah that's fair i, I like think i this idea about the transmission flipping it like that that's pretty smart it yeah. just made it way easier because like i was looking at it you know and like i kind of hid the rear area anyways because i wasn't really feeling doing rear, uh, rear seats so I put that mattress and all that back there just to kind of cover it up. Like it had kind of like a bed kit kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, man, there's, it just was a little too tall that the mattress kind of would have just sat up. So I was like, what can I do? So I flipped it around, you know, bought the other top shaft and got it done and it fit perfect. I have, I was able to do almost the entire depth of the floor as it should have been. So I would think wow. I was shy of like five millimeters, maybe. That Damn. might be your way to go, Adam. But which transmission? Stealth. The Stealth X, yeah. Element one. Oh, okay. Because I'm looking at doing that with the SCX-102 kit. It'll fit that. I'm thinking about spinning that one. Um, I mean, yeah, it'll ball right into that. Yeah. Well, yeah, you'll have to use the play. other skid plate, but yeah, I gotta I gotta play around with it because, like I said, it's just these are all the things that I always go through my mind when I come up with a new build, especially like this one because I'm trying to go a little more on the scale because it's supposed to be a replica of my truck. So, you know, but I want performance. I'm still not 100% sold on the 10.3 setup. Um, it just there's a lot of room for improvements as far as gearing. Um, especially when you ditch the portal axles if you keep the portal axles and you do the gearing that they have and you drop the pinion to the absolute lowest it can go to the thing's a beast as soon as you take the um the portals out of the equation you're limited Mm. portals performance so so that's why i was leaning towards something like you know obviously the three gear transmission is one of the greatest it has it offers the best tunability and uh gear reduction but that one's the hardest to put in a scale build yeah so then i was like well i know a lot of people have the same issues with the uh scx 10 kit transmission that that would um you know like you had the clicking and all that crap with that or the loose parts but um Ultimately, I have that in the black and gold JK, and that that rig, you know, performs really well. So I was like, well, you know, I could use that, spin it, so that way you can put the actual spur underneath, like, closer to the dash. It'd probably be a lot easier to hide. Plus, because I like that it tapers. That's the one thing I do like the direction that they're going with with both those transmissions is they taper down, so it's getting a little easier to hide. But we'll see. I'm still waiting for the body before I kind of start ordering any parts. 
What's the wheelbase going to be on it? Uh, I believe it is a smidge over the standard 12.3. I think it's coming out today in like 12.5, to be honest. Is your Chevy a short box? It is a short box. So it's a standard cab short box. It is an extended cab short box. Oh, dude, nice. I like so, longer yeah. wheelbases, so I'm digging it. <laughs> so, well, I'm having – there's some other things I got to work on. I still haven't completely ironed out the direction I want to go with with uh, the axles because that rig's going to be fully leaf. My Like that will truly be my first fully leaf rig. I just got to figure out what I want to do because I'm – I don't know. I guess the best way you could say it is like once you go one like a certain direction with your scale builds, it's hard to go back the opposite direction. So I could do the easy way out, and I can use like the ten two axles or even the Gen one axles. I think I still have one more set laying around. Um, multiple people have put leaf springs to those. Not a problem. But offset axles have hit the market. It's hard to go to a centered axle. At least in my opinion, I just have like a hard time going, yeah, I'm going to settle for a centered axle. So I'm trying to figure out how I want to do this. So that's been kind of my biggest roadblock right now is debating which way to go. Um, but yeah, so once I get those ironed out and that's also another thing I can't really order that. It's like my biggest thing is I want the body in place so I can actually see what I have to work with before I start picking parts and then you go all right this is definitely not going to work and you ended up spending how much money on a part that's just gonna you know sit yeah exactly so but i mean i'm stoked i really i'm this is one of those things i've been you know i've always wanted to make a replica i'm like one of those guys always want to make a replica of my own rig and now you know i found the file for the body so i was like all right time to see if i can make this happen well, since you're doing leaf springs, did you see those new leaf perches from Scale Metal Supplies? I have some of the prototypes. All right, cool. And that's I what I was saying. The other day, I was like, man, those are sweet. So that's what I was saying. He made those off of the 10 to 1 piece. No, he's got his new version now that you can use on the 1 piece or the 2 piece. Because it's actually pretty trick. If you put it the one way, he's got this part that's actually like shaped to fit the axle tube. And then if you put it the other way, if you spin it around 180, it's supposed to fit. Like I said, one will fit the one style and the other will fit the other style. So it's it's actually pretty slick. The one I have is more primitive because it was a um, it was kind of like in the you know beta testing kind of stuff. So I do have that, and I could put those on a set of my 10-2 axles that I have. It's just, like I said, I'm being picky. I want to. I want to do the. I want to do the offset. So my real dilemma comes down to this: SSD, uh, Pro 44, the offset, or do I do the 10.3 straight axle, which would be the AR45? But the problem with that is the AR45. I'm gonna have to shave all the truss off because there's. It's gonna be in the way. Jesus. Yeah, that's why I've got a big dilemma. Well, I can't wait to see it, because as long as I've known you, you've wanted that build, so I know it's going to come out pretty sweet. Well, thank you. At least someone has uh, some confidence in me. 
Um, so in the meantime, actually what I'm working on, um, and since we have you, is I'm actually, I took my cheater rig apart, or what we called the cheater rig, and I'm actually putting the 10-3 portals underneath it. So that's where those links came. I got those from in the works. You can actually, like, he's got a whole drop-down, like, menu if you want to do, like, a custom link kit. And you can pick what chassis you're starting with, what skid plate you're running, what axles you're going to run. Um, do you want them to be whatever? Like, he has all the different material. You can do aluminum, stainless, brass, or Delrin. You can do bent, non-bent. Um, yeah, he's got like a whole drop down. So basically I built that link kit to what I wanted for that. And then it was actually nice since he doesn't already have the balls, which is not a big deal, but he doesn't have the balls pressed into the rod ends. I grabbed one of my snowball kits that are still sitting there and I'm going to put it in there because my goal is to get this rig back up and running. And I think I'm going to, well, I know I'm going to use the, um, it's not the B-17 Betty. It's the Betty body that Axial had in their SCX-10 kit, which was basically the first kit I ever bought. So I have that original OG body, and I'm thinking about painting it up to match the box. That would be cool. Yeah. So that's going to be my little project that I'm working on. Um, I also got uh, what motor's going in that. I got the Holmes Hobby... Um, the outrigger one i'm drawing a blank on which one though exactly i have it was one of the special edition ones i'm telling oh the revolver it was the revolver but i forget which one i had it was it was one of the special ones that came out not too long ago like two months ago maybe oh i know what you're talking about can't remember the name either but yeah he was only selling a few of them right yes and i got my hands on one of them so it's like super stubby because um, who else got one of those? I'm going to have to go scrolling. But anyways, they'll come back to me. But yeah, that's going to be like my, I guess you can say, kind of comp-ish rig because I've never, other than the capper, I've never run a rig with portals. So. We got snowballs. That's a start. Well, you, okay. <laughs> I totally, which is funny. I totally forgot about this till I was cleaning the rig the other day. So at Axial Fest, I let my boss run, well, not only him, but I also let Thomas from MKS, but both of them ran my deadbolt. And my deadbolt is pretty much as bone stock as it gets other than the electronics. But, I mean, I literally have nothing done to it. It's got the plastic links that came with it, everything. But I don't know if you remember – that was like the first rig I ever put snowballs in and that, and he couldn't believe for being how bone stock that thing is, how well it worked and how well he was able like, he's like, dude, this thing went everywhere. And I was like, Hey, I said, it's pretty stock. I said, it's got, I guess you could say the weight in the right spots because it's got aluminum wheels, but that's about it. I mean, he took that thing up lines that other people were struggling with. It was hilarious, but I think a lot of it, now that I've, you know, was thinking about it after I was cleaning it, it comes down to the, you know, um, like how you can predict what the rig's going to do. And with the snowballs, it allows you to do that. So I think that was like the big ticket to keep it planted and know, you know, what line to pull. 
Right. That's so. my favorite thing about him personally. I mean, it just the reliability, I guess. You know, you don't have and to the predictability. Yeah, like it's just you. It's almost too easy sometimes, you know. But I mean, it's it gives me. I don't know about you guys, but it gives me the confidence to try harder in lines when I know that. Uh, a sudden shift in things isn't going to cause, you know, uh, what could be an expensive build or even, a, you know, a uh, more cheap build to go tumbling down the mountain. Nobody wants that. Exactly. But, yeah, no. I mean, that rig, you know, performs great. Um, pretty much, I mean, I, I'm trying to think how many rigs have I switched over. Michelle's Jeep's switched over. She's got the red ones. I actually have one more set of red. Well, I have one more set of red and one more full set of black, and I think a half set of black. Well, I'm about 90 per. I mean, for those who haven't heard, I'm about 90% of the way back to getting them back. So I know a lot of people are still looking for them, and including you guys. So just so you know, there's a 90% chance they are coming back. So You better hit up John Martin. <laughs> oh, I know. He, he messages me now and again. He's all, hey, you got any more yet? <laughs> yeah, because he commented on my post. He was like, you're lucky you hoarded some because he goes, I can't find any, and I need a, one more set to finish his wife's build. Right. Yeah, it was, it was a sad time. I was really bummed I had to uh, – stop because we were just gaining momentum was it just material constraints or oh yeah so i mean you know how it is right now like yeah that all kind of started with the whole world predicament you know and so basically the company i was getting my material from because that in itself took me a long time to acquire and test you know a lot of people don't realize there's two years of testing behind those you know, like the first event we took them to and they were hideous, right? I had this piece of junk printer. It was like the size of my shoe, you know, it was this little cube would barely do like five at a time. And the first set we took, the wife actually won the event for the class she entered. And um, so that kind of fueled everything. And then, you know, fast forward to a couple of years ago, uh, the company I was getting stuff from, they I, I noticed very slowly that their stock was just going down and down and down. And I emailed them way ahead of time trying to see what was going on, maybe get a heads up so I can start looking. And then one day, all of a sudden, there was nothing left but purple. And I was like, well, I can't. I mean, I could do purple, but I know it wouldn't sell. And so I never got a reply from them. And even to this day, their website still shows just purple. They never, I don't know if it was shortage in material with all the stuff going on or what, but they just stopped doing it. And I couldn't find anything that was the same, um, I don't even want to call it hardness, but softness, you know, like there was a happy medium with those things. And I'm pretty sure what I just found is about as close as I'm going to get, if not better. I ended up using those on our SMT-10 build. 
because I knew that thing was just going to probably get throttled <laughs> and blown out quick. Yeah. They're nice. I mean, like Adam said, you get that peace of mind on the trail. It makes a difference. And plus, nobody likes rebuilding links, you know? God, like, yeah. I mean, after a while, especially when you've been in this hobby and, you know, the like all of us, we don't have one truck. You know, if I only had to rebuild one truck, okay, right? I wouldn't care as much. But we all have a few. And could you imagine every few months rebuilding those? I mean, because to keep links lasting a long time, you really want to rebuild them quite often, you know, Cause, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the probably one area that gets a little, like, oversight because, you know, a lot of people think it's, like, one and done. I mean, I got some rigs that I literally don't touch the links. You, you know, you build it, and you just keep running it. And then you don't really realize how worn out they are until, like, you take it apart, and it doesn't take much force to pop the pivot ball out. Yeah. Or it comes out on the trail, like... I've had that happen in the past, and that's no fun. You know, like you're trying to do stuff, and your whole rig just kind of shifts to the side or, like, hold, kind of twists in the chassis. You're like, eh, no. <laughs> yeah, no, you mean yeah. it, like, slides uh, off it a bit. Yeah. So I'm hoping, you know, like I'm testing the new ones right now. Um, they are a little different. You know, like I said, they're not going to be quite the same. But in my opinion, yeah, I've had to make a couple modifications. I think they're actually going to be better in the long run. And, um, you know, unfortunately with everything, you know, the price will probably go up just a hair, you know. Uh, but it is what it is, right? You know, like it's kind of out of my control. Yeah. You know, I was uh, like most of us. Were, I'm not in. I was never in all this to get rich. So, I literally kind of break even, you know, and, and make enough to make it worth my while. And that was always my thing. It was not about making a bunch of money. It was about bringing something quality to fix a problem that we've all had for years and nothing but, you know, like that has always been the initial goal and always will be the goal, you know. And I, I try to remind people that all the time because a lot of people say they're expensive and, you know, they kind of are, you know, I'm not going to lie. But think about it, you can spend that same amount of money on a stock ball and replace it over and over and over, or you could spend that money once and be done. Yeah. So that's how I look at it. That's fair. That is fair. Yeah, I can kind of sympathize in terms of like, you know, whatever you bring out and you want to release you want to make sure it, like <laughs> it sounds funny to say, but you want to make sure it doesn't suck. You know, like you want right. people to be excited about it and like enjoy it. And like the, the money is a separate thing. You know, like you're kind of like for me, I'm kind of happy people buy stuff at all, regardless of how long <laughs> we've been doing anything. You know, it's like, it's still cool. Like every time you see it. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's the thing that is like, but I always try and keep in mind. And that's why I spent like, so much time on stuff a lot of the time in development just because it's like you really want to bring something that is just perfect well, and you don't want to mention, you know you get feedback right yeah do you want customers coming at you negative all the time or do you want to come back with 
the customers saying, oh, you nailed it. You know, keep up the good work. Like, yeah, I think people forget that, you know, like reviews are a thing. Social media is a thing. You know, it can make or break you in minutes. And to, you know, have a couple of issues, that's one thing. But if you're, if you're getting customers coming back with negative after negative after negative, you're not going to go anywhere. Yeah, you know? exactly. And we all know there is parts, and we're not going to name them, that, uh, you know, don't need to be in this hobby or were maybe rushed a little too quickly. You yeah. know, like there are bad parts out there. And it kills me, you know, we all see it. It kills me every time I see somebody put those things in, they spent their hard-earned money on, and then they're disappointed on how it handles. That's not fair. Yeah, exactly. And that's something I always try and keep in mind. It's just, you know, user experience has to be, you know, above everything else. Yes. People need to love it. it, Yeah, like on the bench, touching it, you know, installing it, whatever it is. Like, people need to enjoy it there first. Yeah. Even if it takes a year longer, take that extra year. Yeah. You know, don't rush it. And that's, I think that's a big problem, especially with how things are. I think people are looking for ways to make an extra buck, and I don't blame them whatsoever. Mm Mm-hmm. But take that extra time. Uh, that's my biggest advice to anybody out there, especially 3D printer, you know, the 3D printer community. Take that extra time, you know. Yeah. I think that's something in the 3D printing world a lot of people are still learning. Right. You know, people, I think what happened, I think, in the explosion of 3D printing in the hobby was that it was. It, it's a great thing. It still is. But there were a lot of people who approached it as, I can make this thing, you know, and whether they designed it themselves, they found it on Thingiverse and they're reselling it or whatever. And they, they 3D printed it. They go to a page and they say, all right, I want, you know, X amount of money for this. And then, you know, things like that. Then people just expect kind of money to roll in. Everyone suddenly became like a desktop engineer. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think... That's where a lot, like, I, I see this happen a lot, too, where um, I see this in Element Group all the time, where there's someone um, who will post, like, a flat rail chassis um, with a PayPal link in the in the group, no description, no anything, and <laughs> they'll just, they just, ex- you know, they expect someone to see that, they just, to see a picture of this chassis, and immediately want to drop, you know, $100, $120 on this. You know, people make this mistake a lot where it's like just because you can does not mean it's it's going to just sell. I think that that's something that maybe the RC industry in general is not super great at is thinking like uh, thinking more about like user experience, thinking about like the customer satisfaction side of things. A lot of people kind of approach stuff as just like, oh, it just works. It just works. Well, I made it. Why, you know you want to buy it because I made it kind of, you know, it sounds silly to say, but a lot of people are like that. Not enough people think about that side of things. I think it's true. Like that's something Trav and I've been talking a lot about lately. It's just the fact that like, I think a lot of our success is due to the fact that you were actually like giving a lot of customer support when it comes to setup and stuff like that. And we've got a group, you know, dedicated to helping people with our product and stuff. And it's like, you see that, 
And then you see somebody who doesn't even take the time to write a description or talk about any kind of features or benefits or anything. They just post a PayPal link like, you know, all right, give me money. Here it yeah. is. Yeah, you exactly. It, it, it's got the letters LCG attached to it. So obviously you want it. Everyone, you know? so it's, yeah. Everyone you wants to stand on a corner with a cardboard sign and just ask for money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think that, you know, that's something we've definitely learned and have attributed to the success that we've had is just helping people out with it, you know, and like telling them why this works or why this doesn't and, you know, talking about shock setup and stuff. And it's just, it's something I don't really see other chassis manufacturers and stuff doing, you know? Well, yeah. Maybe it's just me, but so like, I've always been, uh, I've always had the thought process that, you know, for once, flat rails aren't scale, you know? So like, that's what immediately turns me off on them because I've always been a scale builder and I like the C channel frame, you know, it's just, it looks better. I get the appeal of them, but at the same time now, you know, I guess a shameless plug of sorts, you know, with you guys having the EPX kit, I have no desire to ever do a flat rail chassis (laughs) simply because I can keep my scale and still get performance. I can have my cake and eat it too, you know, like well, that, that's, that's my opinion. That's a really good point too. And that's something that we haven't touched on. And it's something that I should probably do a post about, but one of the things with it is it's not necessarily geared towards comp stuff. Yeah. It works very well for that. You know, like it, it works as well as a flat rail chassis does and then better in some ways, but it also is a really useful tool to offset all of the performance you took away by making something scaled out. You know, like I had a Toyota build that was the Proline SR5 cab and then their rear bed and it had a ton of scale accessories and a 3D printed grill. And I mean, it, it was not a lightweight comp build, but putting her kit on it, helped gain back some of that performance it lost by making it a top heavy turd that's all scaled out, you know? And so that's one thing that people are just so narrowly focused on flat rail chassis and LCG and this and this and this. And it's like, no, I mean, this is a useful tool to try and get back some of the performance that you did lose and still have it, you know, reasonably scale looking. Well, I think part of that comes from the long, long dilemma, you know, can you have scale and performance? And the answer is usually, you know, up until these last few years, it was pretty much no, just because, I mean, obviously you get into a super scale body, that body is heavy. Oh yeah. And it doesn't matter what you put on there. That body is going to shift where it wants to, regardless of how your suspension set up and your shocks and this and that. And the EPX was kind of the happy medium you know it gave a it gave people a chance to have both which and the 11 years i've been in the hobby was the first time i'd actually seen that you know usually you had to choose one or the other or just ride the fence line you know sure like and right. when you rode the fence line you weren't really happy right because you had to sacrifice performance for scale and scale for performance so you were leaving something out that you really wanted yeah, that's fair. I, It's just one of those things, too, and I, I don't want people to take what I say and, you know, translate it as, like, 
3D printed stuff's bad. Flat rail's bad. I, I, what I'm just saying is, is that a lot of it is just approach. We've done as much with EPX post sale, honestly, as any of it, you know, that went into getting it onto the store, you know, and just by trying to create that sort of like ecosystem of support and culture around it and getting people like emotionally invested in it. And that's like what I was trying to communicate was like, if you, if you are someone right, who is listening to this and you want to do something like this, regardless if it's, um, you know, whatever it is, right? Like literally pick anything you can do anything in this hobby, which is the awesome part about it. But no matter what you choose to do, you have to think about what that, like the way you're going to approach it. This, like the real difference maker for a lot of the people who are making this work are what are the time, you know, what's the amount of time they're putting into thinking about things like user experience? What's the amount of time they expect to spend with people after they sell one, you know, selling it's half the battle, trying to get it to not come back to you is the other thing. You know, you need to make sure people actually enjoy it. People want to keep it. You know, people want to make sure that, you know, you want to make sure people spend their money well. And that's, that's a big piece that not a lot of people I think consider. And so if someone like wants to get into that, those are like my recommendations as far as things that you really need to be thinking about. If you're going to release something, whether it's something you put a couple weeks of work into or two years, think about that. Like think about what, you know, what is that side of this going to look like? Because that's going to be the difference maker between you and someone else who undoubtedly has already made what you're making or will make it, you know? I think there's, I mean, there's definitely something to be said too about people who have come out with something maybe first. Someone comes out along the way with something that's pretty much the same, but they excelled in all the other categories. You know, it was just a better buying experience. It was a better user experience. People are easier to talk to. That's something to consider as well. So that's just kind of the spiel I wanted to give because people should feel inclined to want to do these sorts of things. There's a lot of like cool stuff in the hobby that people just started doing as a hobby and thought, oh, hey, maybe I can offer this to somebody. That's how a lot of us are here, really. Well, absolutely. I could list things that I learned in the last 11 years strictly for this hobby. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a lot of things I didn't know or maybe I wasn't very good at, you know, back in the day. And now, like, I'm far from the best, but I can hold my own, you know. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I mean, which is rad. Like sewing. I haven't sewing sewing yet. (laughs) (laughs) Sewing's harder than you think, man. It is. Well, see, the hardest part with that is not everybody is lucky enough to, like, you know, have access to a machine to actually use because, I mean, I haven't gone out and looked to see how much they cost, but it's not a you know, item that most people are like, yeah, I'm going to go drop, let's say it's like 200 bucks. You know, they're like, yeah, I'm not going to just drop 200 bucks on a machine that I've never used before. I mean, it's a little different with 3D printing because it's so versatile. You could use, you know, you can use 3D printing to make not just RC parts, but, you know, a ton of other items. So it's a little bit more of a safer investment. But with like sewing, if you're like, yeah, I'm just going to get a sewing machine because I want to make canvas tops for my rc crawlers um you're really stuck with just doing one thing you know so like for me my mom's always been into you know sewing knitting 
you know, all that kind of stuff, crochet, you know, all that stuff. So she's got all the equipment. So like the first time I wanted to make a top for one of the Jeeps, I just was like, Hey, can I use a sewing machine? And she was like, you want to sew? And I was like, <laughs> well, I said, I, I want to, you know, half-ass attempt to make this top. So she was like, okay. And she, you know, we'd go over there, she'd get it all set up and then make the top. And that was it. And you start out with like easy shapes, like squares. And then you start getting a little more complex with like extra, like, you know, angles and whatnot. But yeah. But like Jay said, it's not as easy, uh, you know, as some people make it look. Yeah. I, I smash my fingers a lot. Oh yeah, that when that, that when that smarts. thing comes down, holy cow, man, it'll get you every time. Are you are you talking about that like thumb screw that holds a needle in? Yep. Every <laughs> yeah. time. Oh man. Yeah, that's and smart. Like, and it's tough too, because like you want to jump away, right? But the odds are that you know you can move your hand into the needle. Like there's a bunch of things that could go wrong in that instance. So you have to just kind of hold <laughs> hold it back for a sec, remove your hands from the machine, and then take on the pain. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's pretty funny. There's it's the thing that like I've my sewing machine's really old. And like when I say really old, like I think I bought it in like. I don't know, probably 98 or 99, like right about the time Travis was born, I think is when I bought a sewing machine and this thing's really old. And like, I've pushed its limits a lot because most of the stuff that you make for RC is going to be a little bit thicker material, you know, like canvasy type stuff. And that's kind of like pushing it with a lot of just, you know, home sewing machines. So it's yeah. kind of tricky. But I've, I've had really good luck, but, I mean, there's been a few times where I've, you know, bent needles trying to get a little bit greedy and get it to do something it's not really supposed to do. I'd love to have a good one, though. I mean, I a long time ago when we first got into this, I made, like, a fast back top with, like, a clear vinyl window and everything in it for my SCX-10 Jeep. And it was it was pretty fun, you know. It was a good time, but it was just, you know, I don't really have time for stuff like that now. Yeah, that's fair. What kind of blows my mind was like when I made the top for the deadbolt and uh, John Martin saw it. He's like, dude, where'd you find that? And I was like, I made it. And he's like, you made it? And I was like, yeah, I made it. And he's like, can you make me one? And I'm like, you want one of my sewn up pieces of crap? Like, you know, like I said, like there's people that probably make a much better like product and you want me to make you something. And he's like, yeah. So I was like, all right. And luckily for me, like, and, and I got this with, you know, the key to making things and making them, I guess, quality. What a lot of people don't realize is templates are everything. Yeah. So if you have something to work off of, and luckily that's what I did when I, wanted to make my first one i took a piece of manila folder and i cut it up so i knew that it fit right where you know i wanted it kind of like the shape was all there then i was able to you know when i'm making the piece i'm able to fold it and make those lines line up with my template and you get a, a much better end result um i this is also a, a i guess a tip you can add when you're fabricating something i believe i've seen Brandon do the same thing, but like when you're going to make something, it's so much nicer when it's kind of like 
templated because then you know it's going to fit right. Like at the very beginning when I used to fabricate everything, it was kind of like on the fly. Like hold it up there, bend it. It looks good. You're like, all right, and then you tack it. And then now it's like, all right, I'm going to make it, see if it works. And then if it does, I try to trace it or make a template. So if I want to mirror it on the other side, I can make it before I stick it to the car. And then you're like, well, crap, now I got to make that out of thin air again. And it never works. That's probably so, one of the best pieces of, of, of ah, I can't even talk. Best pieces of advice, templates. Yeah, I've been so bad with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, I think what it comes down to is like a lot of people, like myself, like you're so like anxious and you're so like gung ho to get the final result done that you just want to like, oh, skip that because you know it's going to slow it down. I just want to get it done, but at the end, the result is so much better when it's when you got a template to work off of. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I need to be better about that. And like he said, those those folders, oh, those are the best. Go buy yourself a box of those folders and just cut them to pieces. Well, they're awesome because, like, if you get cardboard, you know, it could be too thick unless you get, like, the right stuff, you know, um, which can get pretty pricey. But you go to the office supply store, get a box of manila envelopes and or folders, whatever you want to call them, and, you know, you can go to town. They're they're stronger than paper, so you're able to like, you know, you can put bends in them and stuff. And then the other thing too is what I've also found with like, especially with like fabricating, is you could take like you can actually make notes. Like when you start like the bend, you can actually if you figured out what it is, you can write on it. So the next time like down the road when you're doing something, you could be like, oh yeah, this is what I use, you know, or oh it was bent to this degree you know, or, or whatever it is. Or like, if it's like an intricate thing, you could be like inside bend, outside bend. Cause I've had stuff that like, you know, when you flatten it out so you can see how much material you need, you got to remember, wait a second, I bend it this way or this way. And if you write on the one line inside, outside, then you can get it to go back to the shape that you wanted. The interior for the rift, I think is the actually like the first time I've done a template trying to do something like that as far as like making an interior and stuff goes. Usually I, like you said, I'm just totally like on the fly, just one and done and just, you know, get it close and call it good. But that's actually like the first time I really tried. And then what's funny is once you do it that way and you see how great the result is, you're like, I want to do this every time. And then it just becomes a habit. Yeah, exactly. I got a folder full of templates. I save them all. Because you never know when you're going to need it again. So if like, like even for a bumper, right? Like let's say I've had pieces for bumper panels that I'm going to weld together or something. I keep it because then if it ever gets bent or tweaks or whatever, but it's something I just love, I can bang it out real quick and, you know, I'm back on the trail. Exactly. Um, another thing where templates, it's actually pretty funny is like, so I only did this once. Um, so Todd had that very big, whatever the heck it was, that Jeep gladiator thing that he built years ago and he wanted a roll bar for it. So he kind of like traced everything and made a template of what he wanted it to look like, literally designed the whole thing on flat paper, emailed it to me so I could print it out on the same exact paper he used. And I made everything off of what he, uh, drew out 
measured everything, made all the bends to copy exactly what he put. I fabricated the thing up, threw it in a box, sent it to him. And he's like, dude, you're not going to believe how well that thing fit. And I'm like, well, that went off your template. So if it was wrong, that was on you. But it just goes to show you, you don't need like to necessarily be there to do everything. If you got a good working template, you should be able to make anything. Just don't be a lazy sack of shit like me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, which is weird because, like, to do the cars and stuff, you technically need to template them. Oh, yeah. And, and honestly, I think because of having to do it for work all the time, I don't want to do it on my own stuff. And so that's, like, my entire reason for not doing it in the past. It's just it's a pain in the ass, and I hate doing it. And so when it comes to, like doing my own stuff and just like oh you know what this is for me screw it which is a terrible look into how my mind works that's why we were discussing 3d scanners the other day dude i was thinking about that i'll talk to you guys about it after the episode <laughs> but i that's something i seriously want to look into getting and i'll explain why but not to everybody else because it's secret stuff. <laughs> the <What>? secret sauce? <laughs> uh, no. No, no sauce. We are not sauce boys. <laughs> oh, all right. Sorry, I'm drawing while I'm trying to drop things on here. <laughs> See, I feel like I'm like up against the clock with some of this stuff, so I'm like trying to haul ass on things that I need to do and do the show at the same time. So it's been a very busy last couple of weeks. Actually, ever since the Night Runner came out, it's been insane. Yeah, yeah. Like honestly, it's that thing's fault. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's fair. It's been a pretty intense August. <laughs> Dude, it has. It's been crazy. It's made me realize I need AC in my shop because trying to 3D print all that stuff in August is hot. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, I'm... I got two printers running next to me right now and I had to turn the AC off to record just because it's noisy. I am dying. (laughs) And I am... Travis can tell you, I am the biggest baby ever when it comes to getting hot. Like... Dude, when it's hot out, I get cranky and just, I absolutely hate heat. Maybe you should start packing Snickers with you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I will. I personally can't wait till it cools down. Winter's my main crawling season. Yeah, honestly, I'm kind of, I think I'm like forced to have it be that way, though, just because of summertime is always so crazy there's so much like i thought i'd be camping this year and out crawling on weekends and stuff and just <laughs> I didn't do any of that yeah no, like, <laughs> yeah nothing it, i am gonna try and get out and do some video tomorrow because i want to uh get some pictures and shoot our ifs epx truck so i'm probably gonna treat myself to a day of sweating in the sun I'd say we could go somewhere this weekend, but uh, Labor Day is always a fight. 
Well, see, that's why I was because I wanted to this weekend. That's exactly what I was thinking, and then it's like, oh, wait a minute, never mind. This not, is like not the weekend that you want to like get out and do anything yeah. here because it's just we live in a very touristy area. Yeah, I <sighs> I would never trade my job back for it, but I do miss my retail schedule sometimes because then I had some time during the week to do stuff like this. You know, yeah, it's hard to like get the motivation to go do something on a Saturday and Sunday after working all week, but. Yeah, I'm kind of excited for summer to be over now. I'm sort of looking forward to just kind of <laughs> hunkering down in the winter and getting work cranked out. Never thought I'd enjoy wearing hoodies so much. <laughs> well, honestly, I and I don't know if I've ever said it on the show, but like that's like, you know, when people ask you those questions, do you prefer hot weather or cold weather? I mean, I know I get that there's some people that prefer summer. They may not necessarily say hot weather, but they'll say they prefer summer. But for me, and it's a lot of it also stems from my line of work, but it's like I it's just miserable when it's hot. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, like it can keep getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and it doesn't matter how many layers of clothes you take off, yeah. it's still going to be hot. Whereas in the cold, unless you're in some like Antarctic, like negative, you know, 32, you can always keep layering up and get comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. true. Yeah. That's my main that's thing. Is I hate working in it. Like that's because like my, my building that I work in is not, it has no AC or anything like that. And so we're just always at the mercy of the weather. And that's, like, the one part that, like, really kills me in the summer is that, like, you know, I have to open the doors in the morning and then shut them all down by 11 and, you know, hope that I can keep it manageable. My apartment's the same way just because nowhere in Seattle has central AC. It's just not a thing here. So that it makes it hard to then come home to just then sit in heat, try and get work done. You end up just sitting there doing nothing because you're so just drained from the heat that you just want to sit there and be lazy just kills your motivation that's other than that i couldn't i never really mind heat before but trying to be productive during it is something i've struggled with exactly i mean in construction especially because like some of the homes like we're in like if it's a new construction home until it gets insulation it's it you're working in a sweat box right it, and, it can, and it can be only like I'm not talking like 100 degree weather. It can only be like 80 degrees, but you're inside a fully wood framed building with just plywood on the outside and a roof on. It's going to feel like it's 100 degrees inside there. Yeah. That's so, fair. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, yeah, I prefer when it's colder because I can throw a hoodie on, a beanie, and, you know, still feel comfortable working. So. I just like snow crawling. I've only gotten to do that really once in heavy snow, and that's really about it. The other times it's just been like a little, you know, some patches here and there and nothing too crazy. But, yeah, it's that's one time that I actually did get to go and do some snow crawling. I actually really enjoyed it. 
it's one thing I wish everybody would try at least once. Like, I know a lot of people are down on it because whether they want to get the rigs wet or not, or some people just don't like the cold. But if I had one piece of advice for the people that like adventuring with the tiny trucks, just take one day, just one day, and go out and play with it in the snow. It's a whole different animal, and it's so much fun. And the pictures are great. Yeah, that's true. They really are. See, my problem, my only complaint, I guess you can say, with snow crawling is it's almost got to be everything's got to be perfect because if you go out when it's fresh powder and you're, you're driving certain rigs, they'll just sink to the bottom. Like there, there really has no traction. And then if you go when it's iced over, you're sliding all over the place. So it's almost like you got to find the right amount, like just enough snow, just enough everything for it to still, you know, work. Right. I went on a borderline slushy day, and I used uh, KM3s, and it actually worked really, really well. I was surprised. Well, that's like right. the other big thing is like what tire do you choose, you know? It's like, because that's going to kind of dictate your entire day. Well, yeah, because there's so many different types of snow. I mean, like Adam said, you know, there's powder, right? You sink. You got corn snow, which packs really good, but it can also, you know, be kind of the borderline between powder and slush, you know. Like, if you don't have the right tires for it, it can be tough, you know, and then you get into ice, you know, and then full-on slush. Like, it's always changing. You, you're absolutely right, Adam. You got to find the right time. You know, I usually find that waiting a few days after, especially after a big storm, let everything settle. Let the sun beat on it. Let it get hot and cold. You know, melt, freeze again, melt, freeze again. You know, so it's got some sort of base. If you go on the first snowfall, you know, anywhere other than like your front yard, you know, it's probably going to be pretty tough. Yeah. And tires are definitely key. I have found some tires that just don't work in the snow period. I found that certain tires, the compounds will actually change because I went out with the cam threes and I didn't have the predator compound. I just had the standard, which I think is the G eight. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, they sucked, but <laughs> somebody else was running the cam three predator and they went everywhere. I was yeah, like, are you yeah. kidding me? It's the same tread pattern. The softness. Yep. Yeah. It helps a lot. Uh, I think my best performing rig ever was the Smurf J. I don't know if you guys remember that one. Mm -hmm. But the Smurf J with, the, I think I had, I want to say the RC four-wheel drive Goodyear Wrangler Duratrax in their, their like comp compound. What is that, like X2S or something? Um, those did fantastic because they molded over everything. But they also packed at the same time and got a nice footprint, and that was even with two-stage foams. But I've tried the harder tires, like Adam said, in the in the snow, and they just they don't work because they don't give you that footprint that you need. Like you'd be amazed how a tiny truck would handle in the snow. Like it's everything that's applicable from the full-size stuff. Well, not everything, but 99% of the snow stuff you would do with on a full size applies to your tiny truck, too. 
you know, like airing down. So having a good footprint is important. You know, being able to mold and have tires itself clean is important. You know, that's another big one too is, you know, if you got especially really sticky snow and it gets all up in your tread, you ain't going anywhere. And if you can't, don't have the wheel speed to clean it out or you don't have a tire that flexes enough to kind of crunch it out, you know, like I said, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, fair enough. Never tried the snow before, so this is all new for me. <laughs> I doubt I would ever be able to get you out in the snow to go crawling. Probably, I just don't see that. I don't see right. that happening at all. That is probably <laughs> accurate. I don't think. It, I mean, any amount of convincing that I would try just probably isn't going to be a waste. It's a waste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you guys even get snow, or is it just rain up there? Like a weekend we a year. Get... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> seriously, like no exaggeration about a week. Quite, quite literally was two or three days this year. Yeah. It's hard to say. It's it's never consistent. I, I, I'm hit and miss whether or not I'd miss it just because, like, I lived in Central Oregon for ever and dealt with snow on the ground when we first moved there. I mean, climate change and stuff, it's warmed up considerably, but like no joke when I first moved there in the early eighties, it was snow on the ground four or five months out of the year. It was wild. And so I'm pretty much sick of it now after growing up in it. I would See, love I'd, all where you guys are at. I'd love to have, you know, it's snow in my backyard instead of having to drive two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, it gives you an excuse to get away, though. Now, Tahoe's near you guys in Big Big Bear, Southern California, right? right. Correct. Okay. Tahoe's on fire right now. Oh, really? Uh, yep. Oh, you haven't seen any of that? No, dude, I honestly, man, I've been going 100 miles an hour lately. Yeah, um, I guess, uh, so Sierra, Lake Tahoe is, like, pretty much gone. No, really? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, they had the snow, they had the snowblowers going with the water hooked up to them, kind of, like, just shooting water down the, um, where some of the slopes are, and all you see, I'll find the picture, I'll send them to you, it's just, like, a wall of fire. Dude, that's terrible. Well, the thing that really scares me and not to get like going down any other kind of like topic, but like what really scares me is the fact that, you know, for the last couple of winters, it's never, it hasn't really been that great. So uh, being that Tahoe is a tourist attraction, you know, that's how that economy keeps going. And that's how that keeps, you know, revenue coming in. You have a crappy winter. You're not going to have people coming up to go sn skiing and snowboarding. Now, you have something like this fire that's going on that's going to wipe out most of Tahoe, and you, let's say it wipes out like it, like it already damaged Sierra, Lake Tahoe. Now, let's say it damages any more ski resorts. So now you're going to have the people that used to always go to those ski resorts. They're going to either try to pack other ones, or we're going to have a crappy winter, and there's not going to be really anything to go to and people are just not going to want to travel up there which 
like I said, then it starts crippling that economy and it's just a trickle effect. That's my big fear. Well, and I think for you and I, you know, because you and I are basically offset from each other just on different sides of the hill, you know, like we all, I, well, you're a little bit bigger city than I am. My town's tiny, but, you know, we, as people close by, we also rely on them, you know, like the traffic coming through town, especially where I live, you know, people stop and get gas and get food and this and that, like it's all income lost, you know, exactly. It, it's, it's really terrible. That's why I said it's a trickle effect. There's a yeah. whole chain of things that it affects. So it's just, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm hoping they get everything under control because actually also to put in perspective, I think especially in Northern California, I don't know if this is the same with Southern California right now, but I know every Northern California forest is shut down. You have no access to any forest, national forest. Brutal. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, they shut down ours yesterday. Or no, today. Yeah. So I think it's a whole statewide thing. I think yeah. that whoever the director, I don't know if it's director of you know land management or whatever, or the forest department, she shut down everything. She says, as much as it painstakes me to do this, but we got to shut it down because we need to get these fires under control. Um, and we can't be flooding you know, the, the travel ways that you know firefighters and or evacuees have to go. So, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. So, it's pretty crazy. Like, I know Rubicon shut down. Um, Fordyce is shut down. Um, there's a couple other big trails up here that are, yeah, shut down. Brutal. So gnarly. So, yeah, we'll see if, uh, I don't know. I'm hoping, I think right now what they're trying to do is the biggest thing is they're trying to divert the fire, especially in Tahoe, as much as this sounds like screwed up, but they're trying to divert it into like no man's land. So it's not like ruining, you, you know, the Tahoe area, but there's only so much they can do. And like today, it was super windy um, up in the hills where we were working. So it's like, I can only imagine what it's like way up the hill. So and I think they were supposed to have wind up until midnight tonight, and that's what really can screw up a lot of their plans and fighting these fires. So. So gnarly. God, I hate forest fires. I mean, just so much damage, and it's just, like, heartbreaking. I mean, not just for, like, people, but, like, animals and trees that have been there for, you know, hundreds of years, and, I mean, just... I don't know. It's a shame. I mean, I know that some of it's just the natural cycle of things, you know, so that seeds can open and everything else and you can have new growth. But at the same time, it's like a lot of damage. Well, like I said, I hate going down in this direction, but my, a lot of it for me stems on poor fire maintenance. Um, yeah. You know, it, per usual, too much politics get involved in a lot of stuff and you got one you got one side going oh but the butterflies and the bees and the this and the that you know so we can't be tearing down their homes and this that and the other so let it run wild then you got the other ones going but if you clean that up then you're not destroying the entire forest where you know when the when the fire comes through you're not just burning up everything in sight so it's like you get a constant clash and then the other thing comes down to money you know they got to pay people to go out there and you know 
properly clean and maintain overgrowth. Um, so that way, if something happens, it's not just like hitting a tinderbox. And then that leads into also the last part that really we have no control over. But when the, you know, we get the dry seasons or the dry years where we don't get a lot of water, we got a lot of dry brush. So it's just a tinderbox waiting to go off. So gnarly. So I'll get off my soapbox. No, I mean, it's, it, I think it's fine to talk about. I mean, it's something that affects all of us because well, we, I all, think we all like to go enjoy public lands, whether it's crawling or one-to-one or whatever. I mean, it's like, it's well, something that, that we're all interested in and care about. And I know we all, you know, at least I know Adam and I do. I know plenty of people in Tahoe, you know, like, for, you know, I, I feel for everybody, including them, because I've had, you know, especially if you follow them on Facebook, I'm watching people leave, like, in real time, you know, like, uh, I feel like I'm there with them, you know, even though I'm not, and it sucks, like, you know, uh, my door's open to any of them, you know, like, it's it's a tough time. No, it's, it's very tough, and, like, and then you also don't want to sound selfish, but it's, like, you also think about it, so it's, like, let's say areas like, you know, um, you know, heaven forbid, like the Donner area or the Cisco area, you know, burnt down, like there, there's going to be no events held there until they can straighten everything out, you know? And it's like more of the land that gets burnt up. That also means that people used to go hiking, biking, camping, they're going to find other areas. So now let's say they start encroaching on the areas where people were having events that were away from everybody. It's like, like I said, it's just a whole, you know, trickle effect. And you know, so that's why I think like if everyone does their part, you know, and especially that's the other thing too. Like, some of these fires are nonsense. Like, oh, what was that? Two weeks, three weeks ago, I think. Now, there was a fire uh, that started in Colfax, um, which is like maybe five to ten miles away from as the crow flies from. Uh, where Michelle's parents' place is in Auburn. And uh, actually, my boss lives right there, too. And, you know, the fire started, and people were freaking out that it was going to come back that direction. Like, they were starting all the whole evacuation notices, and we were just kind of, like, you know, stuck. Like, you know, and like I said, I was, like, stuck in between a rock and a hard place because being two and a half hours away, now, if they do – the evacuation and I need to try and get up there and help and load stuff up. Once that evacuation hits, you're not going to be able to get in. So it's almost like you have to beat that announcement that they're going to evacuate so you can get in and start, you know, unloading. Cause once they hit the evacuation, they don't want you coming through there. They're going to have a checkpoint and they're going to be like, you don't have an address over here. You're not coming through. Um, so it's just one of those, you know, it's like a scary feeling, but that fire started, if I'm not mistaken, from a bum encampment at a campground. It you was can't, not you can't like, call them bums. So what would you like me to call them? I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Homeless people. Transients. <laughs> the transients. Yeah, that's the word that they like. Okay, so it was a transient encampment at a campground. 
And uh, yeah, and that's what started everything. And it's like, you know, it's just stuff like that, that, you know, it's, it's not just like a, it wasn't a natural thing. It was, you know, man-made. So it gets hard, you know, and there's like, you know, there's a couple of them from, you know, a few years back that were the same way, you know, they weren't started because, you know, lightning struck. It was because somebody had a campfire somewhere, thought it was put out and then, you know, they left and next thing you know, the whole place goes up in flames. So gnarly. I cannot imagine having to evacuate your home. I've seen some of those people get tickets for uh, leaving their campfires lit and stuff. Oh, man, it's so satisfying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's it's like another thing. It's like whole cat and mouse thing because I know um, some counties, they want you to have like a – I don't even know like what to call it, but like it's – they call it a burn – permit slash like certificate meaning like you went online you read the literature you answered some questions and then you can print out this little thing saying that you're able to you know have a fire or whatever because you understand the risks and you know the rules and all that stuff to it but just because you have that you know or because it's almost like i said like a voluntary thing doesn't mean everyone's gonna go out and get it so it's like you're not gonna you know not everyone's gonna you know have the same knowledge so it's kind of one of those things. It's like you almost need to live through it once, and then you kind of like you know you, you get burned, no pun intended, and then you learn. All right, you need to you know do this better, whatever you know. It's a lot of it's just like like I said, learning the ropes and knowing what to do. Yep, and uh, the sad thing is, at least here in California, the fire season isn't over until at least November when we start getting rain. That's a long ways away still. That's yeah. yeah. Well, because because one the the one of the most recent worst fire seasons we ever had happened right after Crawford Cure, <clears throat> which is like the first weekend of October. It's always been about the first weekend of October. Like, I remember, I think that's what it was. Was it 2019 or 2018? We were all out there having a good time, and then everybody left, and there was a whole group of them, you know, from the Sonoma area that they got home and literally were home for, like, less than 24 hours, and that fire just freaking just went rampant and just, you know, they were getting evacuated. It was gnarly. And that was, like I said, that was like the second weekend of October. Yeah. That's wild. Yep. Speaking of fire, though, are you going to Proline by the fire? I will not be going to Proline by the fire. Oh, okay. One year, I need to get my butt down there, but (laughs) it's a lot of it has to do with like, especially right now with work, um, I've kind of taken on a new role, so I'm kind of busy or, well, I'm kind of, you know, always doing something. So I, getting the time off isn't always easy. So I just was like, you know what? I already took off those two weeks back in June. Um, so I'm kind of trying to focus as much time on working as possible. That's like why 
I decided to only go up to Axial Fest on Friday instead of going up on Thursday. Um, but yeah, so one of these years I need to like get everything lined up. But the other big hurdle for me is the fact that you have Proline by the Fire, which is the weekend of the 25th, I think. Sounds right. Twenty. It's. I just know it's like the second to last weekend. Or actually, I think it is the very last weekend of September because I think the following weekend is October like first. Um. So you have Proline by the Fire, which is all the way down in SoCal for me, and then you have two weeks from there you have Crawford Cure, which is the second weekend of October, the weekend of the ninth. So it's like it's it's just like very, you know, expensive to go one way, then the other way. So I just was like, you know what, I'm going to pick and choose. Plus, I'm not saying this is, you know, a good thing, but um, being that this is the last crawl for a cure, that might open up Proline by the Fire to be a little more, you know, financially easier to go to in the future, as long as Proline by the Fire is still doing it, because that's the other thing too. This was like one of those kind of like last minute, you know, no one really knew until what, two months ago a month ago yeah yeah that's true so which more planning would be a lot easier too it's a fun event it's definitely uh different the night crawls are pretty cool yeah i like i said i definitely want to get down there one of these years um the other thing too is i'd like to plan it out a little bit to where I could rent a tow behind trailer that we could like set up and camp and stay there comfortably. Um, Cause I've heard, well, I know the last time Proline by the fire happened. I remember Elio calling me like, I remember like 10, 11 o'clock at night. He's like, I'm on my way home. And I'm like, the event doesn't end till tomorrow. And he's like, the wind came in, it was getting nasty and, I just wanted to get out of there before the storm got there. And I was like, oh, okay. So with that being said, you know, yes, you can still tent camp there. But I think it'd be a little easier if you had a little bit better shelter. Oh, yeah. I guess you could say. Last time I went, it rained. And we had to put our tent away wet. And so when we got home, we had to take it out and let it dry out. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I'm not trying to sound like a boob, but. You know, I like to be prepared, especially if you're going to be that far away from home. Because for you, how long of a drive is it to get there? Uh, it's about five hours ish. Really, it's that far away from you? Yeah, it's a lot further only because of how I have to go. I basically have to go like through Ridgecrest, and I kind of got to go out and then down, so it just takes a little more time. Oh, okay. And, and plus, it really depends on the that stretch of, like, 395. Basically, you get out there, and there's probably, like, I want to say, like, 15 miles where you can't pass. So, because they have, like, the little cones in the center, on the center line. So, you if you get stuck behind somebody, it'd take you, like, two hours just to do that one section. Like, it's tough. Wow. I didn't like. I didn't know that. Yeah. If I mean, if if I wanted to save a bunch of time, to be honest, I should just go down to like 
I don't know, like Bakersfield, not really Bakersfield, more like uh, Lancaster and Palmdale, and then cut across. That would probably save me a lot of time, but I don't know. I know the 395 road well, even though there's not a lot out there, so I just end up sticking to that. Yeah, so I just punched it in, um, and I know obviously they're giving me like the time as like right now, however the traffic is. But it says six hours, 45 minutes. So I'm assuming it's going to be about a seven-hour drive. So it's just a, like I said, it's just a mission. So. Bucket list of crawling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think we all have a bucket list. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I see some photos online, and I'm just like, oh, man, I, just, if I could just have a day at some of these places, I'd be happy. <laughs> like where you guys live. Like some of the photos you guys post, I'm like, oh, man. we're so oh, lucky, dude. Man, like I got a lot here, right? But it's so different, you know? And that for me, that's what's fun is different. You know, that's part of why I like going to events because usually the terrain is different, you know, but like, up there, it's so green, and the trees, and, like, I don't know, even the rock you guys have is unique. We're pretty know. lucky for straight-up crawling, but there's a lot of times that I really miss just some good trails, like what they have at Cisco and stuff. Right. You know, like, it's, there's one that's really epic up here, but the problem is, is it is so busy, and, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's during the day during the winter i mean it's just always busy i mean i've been there once and it was pouring down rain and we probably spent as much time like pulled over on the side of the trail letting people by as we did driving wouldn't you say trav at like 22 yeah yeah definitely isn't it weird how different the reactions are of hikers though Oh, we had one dude kick one of our guys' cars. <laughs> right. Seriously, he, like, kicked it out of the – I was just like, wow, okay. I mean, it was he wasn't even in the guy's way. Like, the dude just was being an ass. And, like, we had a little gate that we had kind of, like, off to the side when we started the run and stuff, and somebody took it. And it's, like, not a great experience as far as, like, public interaction. And we were being super considerate, too. That was the crazy part. Well, and then you'll get people that like love it, and they take pictures. Like it's one or it's one end or the other. There's no yeah, exactly. I never yeah. understood that. I had a funny one. We were out. We were. I think we were going snow crawling, and this lady had a one of those wiener dogs, like a dachshund. Yeah. And he could hear the tone of the motors. So just as we were, we weren't even moving. Just we turned the cars on, and he starts singing. <laughs> and, the, and the lady was like what the heck and we all started laughing and she goes he's never done that before and I was like yeah it's the tone of the cars he can hear it and she's all whoa that's weird dude I never <laughs> thought about that like that high pitched whine that you can just barely even hear sometimes right yeah that's wild that was a great one we, we had a good laugh <laughs> yeah that's pretty funny Well, do we have anything else here we wanted to touch on or about at that point? No, I think that's it. I mean, we kind of yeah, like covered kind everything. of a slow week. Yeah. Yeah. It was a slow week. For sure. Well, thank you again, Brandon, especially for the yeah, short thanks, notice. Man. It was good catching up. 
I love hanging out with you guys anytime. I appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll all uh, see each other on the interweb. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah likewise. Absolutely. For sure. The interweb trails. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Well, all right. Well, thank you, everybody, um, for staying with us for another week. And, um, yeah, really appreciate the support week in, week out. And we look forward to bringing more episodes to you guys. So thanks again for listening. Thanks, guys. See ya.